0: Hey, Nancy. Lovely to see you again.
1: Hey, Willis. Great to be here.
0: So we took a little bit of a break, and during that time, we actually kind of, like, hung out, thought about the arts, and asked people what they wanted to know during a cut and paste.
1: Yeah, and what people told us was that they wanted to hear just more stories about artists' work and what drives them, and also stories about their lives.
0: So, when you think of artists, you sometimes think of materials and you think of tools. So, when you think of artist tools, Nancy, what do you picture?
1: Well, for visual artists, of course, like, you know, obviously paint and maybe clay and metal. And for musical artists, of course, there's, you know, all the instruments and more and more the laptop and, you know, choreography for a dancer.
0: So, one artist, Nika Marble, is a local creator who also works with liqueurs, fresh herbs, and a little lime.
1: Yeah, and her studio for that is behind the bar at Oleo and Elia in the Botanical Heights neighborhood of South St. Louis.
0: There, she's a mixologist and bar manager, but her first loves are music and collage making. I'm Willis Ryder Arnold.
1: And I'm Nancy Fowler. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. So back to Nika Marble, and you know, she plays the piano and the violin, as well as being a mixologist.
0: It sounds like a really great combination of things. What's your favorite kind of music to listen to, and what kind of drink do you like, Nancy?
1: Well, I, I like a lot of different music, but one of the things I really love to do in St. Louis is go listen to Ken Page or On a Belt out a good show tune.
0: I can so picture that.
1: Yeah, and, and while I'm listening, sometimes I like to have this drink that I've, it's not new, but I just discovered it. It's called a sidecar. It's got cognac and cointreau and some lemon juice, a little sugar around the top. Just seems to fit with the show tunes.
0: (laughs) Such total class. (laughs) I personally recently had this gin and scotch drink with some, you know, kind of herbal flavors. It was pretty floral. I found it fantastic and have no idea what it's called.
1: That sounds like something that Nika Marble would actually
0: like to whip up. It really does. For her, music and mixology have a lot in common. Her work in all arenas involves pairing ingredients that might seem to be completely unrelated.
1: She does that musically with her creative partner, percussionist Lewis Wall.
0: She met him after moving to St. Louis from her hometown of Columbia, Missouri.
2: We decided this was our strength, was this idea that we could riff off of each other or riff off of a piece of text. One time, we had a show where people would live elocute their stories. We would say, does anyone have a story they want to tell? And we would narrate it with our music. Just right there on the spot. Yes. And so that was very well received. We had a show at Foam that was so funny. A man told us about his parakeet's Viking funeral. Um, Parakeet's Viking funeral. Can
0: you give us just a brief synopsis of that story?
2: From what I remember, the parakeet died and there's a pond in the backyard and they made a boat out of loose driftwood and set it aflame. There's some very uh, intense crescendos <laughs> in our response to this story.
0: <laughs> so how are you actually like drawing on those stories in order to then produce accompanying music in that moment?
2: Just emotional intensity. We're listening to it as it sort of ebbs and flows. If someone's talking about, say, canoeing down the river maybe it's sort of um, melancholic very legato you're flowing your hand you're flowing with your hands like water yes, right now yeah. under the microphone <laughs> yes i am <laughs> very gesticular music is always about gesture though but then if the canoe flips over and you're like holy oh my god <laughs> This canoe is going to flip. Then the, of course, music, the music changes. the music will change. The <laughs> tempo will change. And I think the fact that I am moving with my hands shows just how, like, tactile music is. It's not just something you hear. It's something you feel. It's something that your body responds to. So how do some of these same principles and this sort of um, spontaneity
1: and improvisation uh, resonate in being a mixologist as well?
2: You never know who's going to walk into your bar. Oh, my goodness. I meet everybody at Oleo, and everybody has this thing that they like or this thing that they don't think they like. And it's interesting precisely because of its liminality. You have to work within someone else's parameters or what you have on hand. Like, a lot of what I have to work with is seasonal um, or again, just limited to, oh my god, we ran out of this. What am I going to do instead? And I like this idea that working with what you've got and sort of understanding the elemental nature of it is really central to making people happy in that realm. Um, Also, I've noticed over the years that Um, this idea of introducing people to things that are unfamiliar is really compelling to me in mixology. And so it's very interesting to draw people out of their shells and say, well, do you like things that are tonic or medicinal, or do you like citrus and sweet? Or how are you feeling today? How can I sort of mimic what you're feeling with a flavor profile? and it's not unlike improvising music. How can I make a representation of your story with these tools of a drum kit and a piano that I'm working with?
0: I was gonna say it kind of puts you in this position where you're both totally in control but in control of something that is not easily expressed to you beforehand. It's yes. like being in control of something very acute in the midst of total chaos.
2: <laughs> yes, and if you've ever been to Olio on a Saturday, it's like being in an aquarium. <laughs> chaos <laughs> reigns. <laughs> we get very full very quickly, and when you're trying to customize an experience for someone, because it's someone's night out. It's it's a mild amount of pressure <laughs> from time to time, but uh, it's really fun too. It also really forces you to understand the tools that you're working with. Like it's kind of like being a booze librarian. Like <laughs> although we have a very I would say well curated and streamlined set of offerings, you really need to understand how they taste on their own and how they will interact with one another, which is really interesting.
0: So then what are some of the elements that you feel like you have to understand about the music when you're doing improv?
2: I'm really interested in this idea of rhythm as a dialect. Um, That's probably one of the most important I've found in storytelling um, because it can just imbue so much. Like if it's staccato and nervous or if it's legato and sort of lumbering along or if it's quick and smooth, it can just say so much without saying anything specific at all. Which is really interesting that it's both like this universal language and through the storytelling completely specific to that context.
1: You mentioned earlier with your music references to the novelist Vladimir Nabokov, although you pronounced his name differently.
2: Oh, Nabokov. (laughs) And of course you're right
1: because you uh, grew up in a household where your parents um, were native Russian
2: speakers, is that right? My parents are of Russian heritage. The Russian I know is from my grandma.
1: <laughs> okay, so how did that background and sort of the, 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 the austere intellectual quality that we sometimes imbue with that culture, how does that sort of come to bear uh, in all of your creative pursuits?
2: Um, that's a really interesting question. I've always been sort of fascinated by this cultural heritage as a person who is tied to it, but is completely American growing up quite literally in the middle of the Midwest. <laughs> I was always interested in the stories because particularly Gogol and Nabokov precisely because they are so austere, so dark, but also so funny and sardonic. And I liked that the two qualities could be concurrently true. Nikolai Gogol actually said that, I'm trying to translate it in my head, but something along the lines of, you know, comedy and tragedy are such a short distance apart. They're two poles of the same concept. And so I've always been attracted to that idea of relationships between things that are seemingly opposite.
0: How do you bring that into the music then, in terms of like dealing with ideas that are opposites and then united in sounds and rhythms in any other kind of ambience?
2: I even just think about how kind of unlikely a piano drum duo is. This idea that the piano is so melodic and the drums are so abrasive in some sense, and yet between the two of them, again, melody and rhythm is dialect the twain shall meet and make something very expressive in that sense. So this idea of using things that seemingly clash to construct something very unlikely and yet very expressive is interesting to me.
1: see that concept sort of rolling out in your other work as well your other creative pursuits of mixology and even visual art making?
2: Oh definitely like in the visual art realm I mostly work with collage and a little bit of painting and one of the fascinating things with collage is that not only are you limited to materials that you're finding in your environment but you can selectively cut and paste, haha.
1: <laughs> Thanks for the promo. Oh my
2: God. <laughs> but um, this idea that you can take completely disparate elements and sort of tessellate and arrange them to make a completely new form is very interesting to work with. It's also terribly calming to cut shapes out with an X knife after a rough service.
0: I'm curious, how does that actually play in then? Your schedule as a bar manager is... What is your schedule as a bar
2: manager? Oh, uh, sorry, I should Oh, no, no, it. not at all. Um, I work six days a week, <laughs> pretty much from four until the end, so... What's the end? Um, the end can be anywhere between 11 or 1, so...
0: And then are you coming home and doing creating then? I imagine you're not necessarily banging out on a piano at one in the morning.
2: No, I try to do a little artwork. I try to put in an hour visually every day just because it's therapeutic for me. Put in some time after work, sort of wind down, maybe have a drink, and then during the day. I have an entire day to myself. It's a little bit rough near the end, but still, there's quite a bit of time to be had. And I find that as a person who finds it difficult to stay disciplined without my schedule being complete and total chaos, that I am a lot more productive, having like a demanding job or a busy schedule in that sense. And the job, despite being so rigorous, is very invigorating in the sense that um, I do get to use my creativity there. It's, not re- it's never repetitive. It's never the same. It's sometimes infuriating, existential, sometimes it's very joyful, sometimes you have these customers who just broaden your world.
1: So the collage making and maybe some other um, activities seem like more solitary pursuits and yet being behind a bar is a very social activity. How do you sort of navigate those two worlds?
2: Oh my God, I don't. So it's actually kind of difficult as a person who is incredibly introverted but has a very extroverted job. It's kind of a, I won't say a leech of energy, but it does draw from parts of me that are sort of limited. So the bartending is almost like a performance in and of itself. This idea that I am here to perform a role and to give you an experience is very intentional, I think, whereas with the art making, particularly the collage and the painting, I can just sort of meander instead of having to be so rapidly improvisational or on the spot or constantly thinking a few steps ahead it's more stream of consciousness. It's much less constructed.
0: Do you worry then that people kind of lead with you as a mixologist or put too much emphasis on your day job when you have these creative endeavors that are drawing on kind of the same skill sets?
2: Yeah, I actually do worry about that. And it can also be a challenge to put out and create work when you're working the kind of job I do, when you're the face of a place or when you're managing anything (laughs) when you have to sink that much time into it I think there's kind of an inevitable identity crisis where oh my god am I an artist who waits tables am I a waiter who occasionally makes art this is a uh, a thing that has worried myself and a lot of my friends in their lives and I think there's a balance to be found but it's really hard to get there I don't even know if I've found it yet I find that the more I make things, the better I feel about it, which is why even if I'm completely exhausted, I have to put in the time or else I will just feel awful. (laughs) And it returns so much too. I had a show at the Chess Hall of Fame recently, The Imagery of Chess St. Louis Artists. It stemmed from an interaction with one of my bar regulars, um, a local painter named Peter Mannion, who suggested me um, to be a part of this show just based on some flyers that I'd made with some of my collage work. And it led to something much bigger and something very fun, and it... Broaden my network of artists here. I met a lot of people whose work I was unfamiliar with and I almost couldn't believe it was happening in St. Louis. There's a very lively art scene here and fashion scene and I think it's experimental music is one of the best in the country, honestly.
0: Given that you do work in a kind of experimental music, you know you've talked about the oddity of pairing just piano and drums and the improv that you're working with. How might people that don't necessarily gravitate to that type of music find an area of interest or find something discernible? Um,
2: I would say that the burden does fall on the performer to kind of link it to a narrative. I've been to so many shows here in town where I am conscientiously trying to get out of my comfort zone and to like or understand something, but without... It doesn't even have to be an explicit frame of reference, but without sort of offering a point of narrative or, like, a focal point of any sort. Like, hey, this is sort of related to a piece of text or... Even just explaining, this is a spontaneous interaction, enjoy it for what it is. It doesn't have to be an explicit, this is a story about a boy and a girl or anything like that. But I think um, I think that a brief explanation of concept can be really, really important, especially because improvisation in and of itself is such a, a conscientious pursuit Um, there's so much that can happen there and I think watching people really interact with each other musically and watching the very fluid exchange and blossoming of ideas musically um, it's music to be seen not heard like listening to it on a record and then watching it happen and unfold in front of you is such a different experience
0: That was artist and mixologist Nika Marble talking about the intersection of mixology, music, and our other artistic pursuits.
1: So, let's go have that drink and listen to some music.
0: That sounds great. This is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Produced by Nancy Fowler.
1: And Willis Ryder Arnold. And with help from our editor, David Casares.
0: The music you heard is that of Nika Marble and Louis Wall.
1: You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. St. Louis Public Radio's podcast series, Cut and Paste, is made possible by space architects, designers, and builders, creating St. Louis's favorite spaces.